Powered by MPB, this is Chalkboard Chat, an MPB education podcast. To hear this episode and more, visit education.mpbonline.org or download the MPB public media app to listen on your iPhone or Android device. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Chalkboard Chat, where we talk about all things focused on education in Mississippi. I am Dr. Tara Wyren, and today I will chat with Julia James, education reporter for Mississippi Today. Julia, a Louisiana native, covers K-12 education. She previously served as an investigative intern with Mississippi Today. She is a 2021 graduate of the University of Mississippi, where she studied journalism, and public policy and was a member of the Sally McDonald Barksdale Honors College. She has also been published in the New York Times and the Clarion Ledger newspaper. Welcome to Chalkboard Chat, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I know probably as a reporter, you're probably not used to getting interviews. So let's try our hand at that today. How about that? A little bit new to be on the other side of the coin, I will admit. Yeah. Well, I look forward to this conversation. I've been excited to get your take on education, K-12 education here in Mississippi. Let's just get to know you a little bit. So tell me a little bit about your reporting background. So I first got interested in journalism through my high school's broadcast program. Took broadcast classes all four years of high school, doing morning announcements, making advertisements for events happening around school. And it was funny because it taught me two things, how much I liked assembling a story and piecing it together and how little desire I had to spend my life in front of a camera. (laughs) Um, I have so much respect for TV reporters, but also just that it was not my personal calling. And so I studied print reporting in college. And I think I came into college really excited about journalism and then kind of meandered away from it a while with some other interests. And then really my senior year found my way back and and realized again, just how much fun it was was to constantly be learning new things. Because I feel like that's one of the great joys to me of the work of journalism is that I get to be a student of my beat for everyone who reads the newspaper, but I'm constantly researching new laws, different government databases, talking to people, teachers who are in the classroom and education experts. And I think that is one of the joys of it as well. I like how you said that because being a student of so many different things and learning it and then being able to tell it back to others in a way that's helpful and useful to them. That's how I see what your role and what you guys do and all journalists who are reputable journalists and those who are fair and balanced. I see that as your way of being an educator as well. So when did you know education was a thing that you wanted to talk about or to write about? Early on in my time at Mississippi Today, even when I was still helping more with coverage of the welfare scandal, my editors asked me to help assist in some education coverage because it was right when the Delta wave of the coronavirus was really making its way through Mississippi and having such an impact on schools that I got to help put together several stories about what that impact looked like and really enjoyed developing those relationships with teachers and school leaders. My sister was a teacher for five years. She's now back in back in grad school. But I think there was something very comfortable and familiar in the way that they talked about education and their passion for it. The thing that I've really found, though, since really taking on the role in January of 22 as the Education Beat reporter is just how much fun it is to be reporting on a topic that everyone in the state cares about. Everyone is invested in like a high quality education for our state's children. And so often I get really kind emails from readers like, thank you so much for paying attention to this issue. You know, my 
my kid is impacted by this, or I used to work in education. And I think it's absolutely still a real and valid concern that the growing animosity towards media that we see in our society. But it's been really lovely for me to see that there is another side to that as well, that people are really interested and really curious about the news around education. How cool is that to hear it? Everybody doesn't hear, hey, you're doing a great job or that's very impactful. So congratulations on that. I'm sure it fuels the fire a little bit, right? Absolutely. And thank you. So we'll dive right in. I got a broad question is my first one, just based on all these conversations you've had, the deep dives you've taken, the investigative look you've taken on some education topics. What is your overall take on the state of education in Mississippi? I think it's interesting, you know, you always want to have a healthy amount of skepticism when people are constantly lauding their the successes we've made in various departments just to make sure that no one's getting left behind or nothing's getting swept under the table. And there certainly is still so much room for innovation and improvement. I think everyone agrees on that in Mississippi education. But it's really interesting to me to look at a report that was put out last fall. It's called Kids Count and it's like ranks child welfare in, in all the 50 states by different metrics and for nearly every other metric, you know, like we're very used to. Mississippi was, if not at the bottom, very close to the bottom in healthcare and access to good food and housing and like all of these different metrics. And we were actually 35th in education. And it was like, you know, that's still a long ways to go towards the where we maybe want to be. But I think that's another thing that's really fun to me about this beat is there is also positive news about Mississippi education sometimes as well. There's a lot of work still to be done, but I enjoy there being opportunities for balance there also. That's a great way to look at that. 35th. And I would like to say that we're climbing with some of the initiatives and the looks that our government, our legislature and things that's happening. We had the Lieutenant Governor in at our Workforce Wednesday as a presenter, and he shared with us the consideration that's being taken into, he said some folks call it year-round school, but that's not what it is. And he kind of described how it would go. How do you think that will help where we are as a state being 35th? How do you think, you know, would that help us climb a little bit based on what you know? It's an interesting proposal. It's one that, you know, we've seen a few school districts already shift to on their own. I believe Gulfport, I just saw in my email, I think Clinton is making that move. There are certainly numerous places around the state that have already started to make that shift. And I think sort of the idea of the appeal is that if you don't spend quite as long on summer vacation and instead have a a few multi-week breaks broken up throughout the school year, that there's less time for you to forget content. Or you can also use those breaks between the first and second nine weeks for supplemental tutoring help students who may be struggling catch up. And I think that's something that you've also seen more interest in since the pandemic, because there is such a focus on trying to catch students up from that learning loss. I think the research that I've seen is generally positive, but for the model, it'll be interesting to see how much widespread support there is across the state for it. Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to that discussion to see how that goes. So let's talk now about the new social studies standards. Can you tell me a little bit about what they are and how they change? Where this really became very interesting to me about this sort of constant series of of innovations that we saw. With social studies standards, you know, the Mississippi Department of Education is regularly updating standards across all subject areas. Social studies, English, science, and there have been several different editions of them in the last 10 years. Where this really became a news issue and a political issue was last 
December, the version that was put out was attempting to be sort of streamlined and simplified, but removed a lot of the concrete examples that people felt were necessary and crucial to be included in standards. And so there was public comments sent into the Department of Education. They actually held a public comment hearing. And at that public comment hearing, made the announcement that due to overwhelming requests, they would be reinstating a lot of those examples. And so after that sort of walk back of the major change that people were really concerned about, a lot of it was more procedural at that point. I think there had been a great interest also because of the larger concern about social studies education in America right now, that people sort of used it as a jumping off point to express their frustrations with critical race theory, with the inclusion of the full histories of people of color in social studies content, but that you didn't actually see a lot of really large changes being made in that way in the standards when they finally adopted new ones. At the end of last year, I was talking to the department officials about what they felt the biggest difference were. And they said, and we really feel like we've organized things a little bit better so that content flows from one idea to the next more clearly, but that there weren't as many content changes. Well, the transparency on behalf of the Mississippi Department of Education was good and also equally as good is that they listen. So have you talked to any teachers since then to get their feedback on the newly adopted standards? I reached out to um, one or two teachers who were on the advisory panel who were helping sort through all of the comments and feedback that the department received. And they said that they felt like the standards were in a good place. Good deal. So during the last legislative session, 2022, all that passed and, you know, just a lot of talk about it, conversations in the classroom, in homes, in the community, everybody was talking about this critical race theory issue. Where are we on that conversation today? I think the educator, K through 12 educators have, have maintained throughout the whole process that there really was, was never any discussion of critical race theory in elementary, middle and high school public classrooms. There you know, have been some documented instances of it present in college courses, but I think that in some ways is, is appropriate. It's a like academic theory to be explored in an academic space, whether you agree with its assessments about American politics and history or not. I think that is, is probably the, the right space for it to fall in. But my coworker, Molly Minta, who's the higher education reporter here, was really the one at the helm of talking to professors and students in some of those courses about their experiences with them. And I've really I really enjoyed her work on the topic. So if we want to learn more about critical race theory, we need to go and read Molly's stories. <laughs> you did a, a wonderful piece profiling two students who were in the critical race theory at the University of Mississippi Law School that I, I would recommend reading. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing your knowledge of that. Um, Maybe we'll have Molly on and talk to her a little bit more about that. So we talked earlier about the pandemic and all that education has experienced during the pandemic. I think it's safe to say that we're maybe coming out of a pandemic, although COVID is still very much alive with us. But thinking about how COVID turned our education pedagogy, our practices and operations just totally turned it upside down. According to your reporting and your conversations and things that you've learned and people that you've talked to, how do you think that our students are faring since the pandemic? Now, that they've gone back to some sort of normalcy in the classroom. 
I think last school year in particular, the 21-22 school year was really an adjustment period for a lot of people because every school in Mississippi was back in person, at least as their basis mode of operation. Occasionally, perhaps they had to pivot if case numbers got really bad in their class or in their building. But largely, we had returned to fully in-person learning. And I think there was there was a big adjustment. I think we saw a lot of concern around student mental health as well as academic performance. You know, hopefully, as we move through this school year and the following school year, there will be more opportunities for some of that to to level out and sort of steady. But I think the other thing that research that I've read and reported on has really showed the way that the academic effects of the pandemic were not equally distributed amongst all students. Uh, Students in high poverty schools were significantly more likely to to fall behind. One of the researchers I I talked to about a study he put out that it wasn't just that students in high poverty schools perform worse than students in, in wealthy schools and high achieving schools. It's that that gap has gotten wider. And so I think that should be a real area of focus for us as well in terms of making sure that we're focused not just on student recovery, but on the equity in student recovery. Absolutely. And let's talk about that gap. You know, every student received an iPad or had some sort of- Some form of technology, yes. Mississippi Connects initiative. Yes, that they could take home and they could do their homework or connect to whatever platform they needed to, to be successful. Well, we both know, we had Dr. Eric Green did an interview a couple of weeks ago here, and he was talking about access and how that access really doesn't mean access totally. It's not 100% stable, access is unstable. And in MPB education department, we talked to a lot of students, a lot of parents and teachers, and we're Zooming with them and we're trying to get them hooked up to whatever they need to be hooked up to. But for one reason or the other, sometimes they cannot turn on their camera. At the same time, they're talking because they do not have stable access. Their broadband is not strong enough. So that's a gap. That's an equity gap in terms of learning, number one, in terms of technology. And I know that there are some entities in the state working on, you know, increasing that. But in the meantime, what have you heard that's being done to address that technology gap issue? There was a real focus for a while on like broadband connectivity, especially when more schools and districts were conducting class virtually every day. I think it is bringing reliable high-speed internet to state consistently is still a goal for some people, but that it's one we've honestly heard less discussion of since students have returned to school in person every day. But they're still utilizing those devices for their homework, perhaps, or like we know we've seen it utilized in Jackson when the water pressure goes out and kids can't go to school. But as it is no longer a day-to-day necessity, I think there has been some shifts away from it on, on terms of a statewide discussion. But we've also seen that a lot of districts are using their federal pandemic relief money to beef up technology, internet, and do building renovations. So it varies based on how many students you have, but there was this big pot of money called ESSER dollars that every school district in the state got at least some of that they've used at first largely to buy cleaning supplies, sanitation, improve air filtration, but it's now really turned into a pot also to be able to respond better should there ever be another public health crisis. So in increasing broadband strength in schools if teachers are trying to Zoom with their students from the classroom, upping the quality of technology, and also building renovations, usually HVAC because that air quality is tied with the pandemic. But for many schools, it's an aspect of their infrastructure that's gone underfunded and unaddressed for a long time. Well, that's good to hear that they're using those funds and really being intentional about doing things to mitigate the same sort of issues at the level that we had during the top of this pandemic. 
Julia, what's been your most compelling education story over the past year or so? Well, I think I touched on one of the ones that I was most interested in and motivated by just now, which was the use of those federal pandemic dollars. Perhaps the one that garnered the most public attention or, or eyes on a story was the coverage of the restrictions of certain books in Madison County. We actually just uh, moderated a panel last night with the Humanities Council about their perspective on efforts to ban books in the state. But yeah, I think it first I first found out in April of last year that the school district had pulled about about 20 books that were under consideration and placed them behind the checkout desk and required parental permission to check some of those books out. And so we started talking to parents about why they were advocating for this, talking to parents who were opposed to it. And then in August of last year, the school board made a final determination that about 10 of those books were returned to their original place in the library. And they decided that they were not going to take any further action with them. But 10 other books that continue to be in what they've called like restricted circulation, where it requires parental permission to check it out. But I've talked to some students who say that restricted circulation is effectively a ban for them because nearly every book that was on that list was about the lived experiences of LGBTQ people or people of color. And so while some people who were involved in the effort denied any racial motivations, there was at least a clear pattern to be observed in the books that that they were picking out. And so one student who I spoke to, who is the president of the Gay Alliance at Madison Central, said that for many queer students who are potentially looking to read this literature to explore and connect with with other people who might be like them or other stories or ideas that might more represent how they engage with the world, having to get their parents' permission if their parents are hostile to that idea effectively bans the book for them. Wow. I'm sure those are some pretty deep conversations. And your panel was last night. Did you have a good showing? Good feedback from the students? Do they talk? <laughs> yes. No, they were very, I mean, you know, they did sign up to be there. So we hopefully could rely on them to share their opinions, but they were very participatory, very engaged. I really appreciated. And I think everyone in the audience really appreciated what they had to say, which was largely about A, the necessity of those texts for people to experience human connection and, and diversity in a way that Maybe their school doesn't necessarily offer them, but also just the importance of of learning to respect one another and show respect for other people who are different from you. That's what it's all about. Absolutely. I did see that today. I didn't get a chance to read it yet, but I'm going to go and read your report on that. So there's a lot to unpack when you're talking about education and, you know, how do you determine which topic to cover? Is it just the one that's risen to the top, the one that more people are talking about, or you do your own digging and find that unique story in there? Well, I think it's a combination uh, of sort of all of the things that you just mentioned. You know, occasionally there's something that I'm really interested in that I will start researching and just keep carrying on with until I can find enough information to put together a story. But often, you know, I think a story is jump-started by someone reaching out to me and saying, yeah, I have a concern about this or this thing is happening where I live. Sometimes there isn't much more to it. There's just one person who shared a concern with me and I'm glad to have been able to listen to it. But sometimes there's a lot of people who feel that way. And then the more people who have concerns, who express the problems they've been dealing with this, the more likely it is that this is a story that other people would be interested in and want to know about. And so, yeah, I think I'm grateful for the fact that it can be both, that I can initiate a project that is of interest to me and I think will will be of interest to other people, but that also people can come to me with their ideas and their concerns and that those can also become stories. Absolutely. And my last question that I'm going to ask you today is, what can we expect from Julia James? How are you going to up your game? You know, what's your next move in the reporting game? 
there are so many people involved in education in the state. And you know, I've been covering this beat consistently for about a year now, and I've really enjoyed it. But I also feel like there are so many people that I haven't met yet. And so I'm always interested and always working on establishing more connections because from those connections come more informations and, and more stories and, and better reporting for everyone to benefit from. Yeah, I think the, well, the legislative session will prove interesting for sure. And I'll have my eyes on the education bills that are making their way through. Well, thank you, Julia James, for coming to chat with me today here on this episode of Chalkboard Chat. We've talked about everything from the pandemic to equity, learning gaps, social studies standards, student conversations that you've had, a little peep into what you might do here and the future of your, your reporting on education here in Mississippi. We really appreciate you for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yes. Julia James, everyone, education beat reporter with Mississippi Today, has shared her passion of being a student of our K-12 education system here in Mississippi. She's had a lot of conversations with parents and teachers, lawmakers, students, and has done a lot of research to learn quite a bit about education in Mississippi, educating our students in K-12, through and providing reporting to help Mississippians educate our students at home in the community, and of course, in our classrooms. Thank you, Julia James. I am Dr. Tara Y. Wren with Chalkboard Chat. Class is now dismissed. You've been listening to Chalkboard Chat, an MPB education podcast. To hear this episode and more, visit education.mpbonline.org or download the MPB public media app to listen on your iPhone or Android device. This podcast is hosted with love by ACAS.